Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Today, we got another packed, scintillatingly sensational show, as always. And Chris Wright of Nice Motorsports will join us to chat about his career spanning the U.S., Europe, coming back to the U.S. and now solidified in the Camping World Truck Series with Nice Motorsports. Pretty interesting guy. More than meets the eye with Chris Wright, so I'm excited for you guys to hear that conversation. Plus, Alex Bowman did not luck into the win at Las Vegas. Sorry, Kyle Busch. And now we're heading to his home track out in the Valley of the Sun in Phoenix. But before we do any of that, as always, we've got to start off the show with a little homage to the number 39 for episode 139. Do I hear a tornado coming? Hopefully more people than just my dad get that reference. Regardless, here is Papa Siegel with this week's Wayback segment. Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to episode 139. Today, the doorbell rings at Jerry Seinfeld's apartment. The door opens, and we say, Hello, Newman. Ryan Newman tops the list of drivers who piloted the 39 car in terms of starts, wins, top fives, and top tens. He scored all four of the car number's wins during his time at Stuart Haas Racing. In addition to Stuart Haas, he drove for Roger Penske, Richard Childress, and Jack Roush. Not bad, huh? Newman got his racing chops driving quarter midgets and silver crown cars in USAC. You'd think his future would have been in Indy cars, but the 1990s were dark times for top-level American open wheel racing during the card IndyCar split. So Newman turned to the captain for help. Penske gave him an ARCA ride and set him on his path in NASCAR. Newman won 18 times in all during a 725 race career spanning 21 years. He won a Daytona 500. He won a Brickyard 400. And he won the Winston All-Star race as a rookie. And he was F-A-S-T fast. He earned 51 poles during his cup career and earned his moniker as the Rocket Man. He also earned a reputation as a stubborn SOB on the track. If there was a Mount Rushmore for drivers most difficult to pass, especially when you had a faster car and really needed to get by, Newman would be on it for sure. Word is that we'll be seeing Newman this year as part of the second season of the SRX series, and that he'll be driving car number 39. That's all for this week. Back to you, Duve. Kachiga! Hello there, Mom. Wow, didn't expect you to be in there, but Kachiga to you too. Yeah, Ryan Newman. I mean, he's obviously not racing a NASCAR this year, not that we know of. He will be competing in SRX. We'll see how many races he decides to do overall when you're spanning USAC. Modified Tour, SRX, potentially a one-off in NASCAR in the top three series. Who knows? One thing is for sure. Back when qualifying was it, 
there was nobody more fun to watch for one lap at speed, at least in my time, in my mind, than Ryan Newman. So a good homage to Newman. I thought back to episode 112 and I was like, wait, do we not, do we not already do that with Ryan Newman? But of course, 12 was Bobby Allison because that's my dad's all-time favorite driver. So dad, thank you for that way back segment, that homage to Ryan Newman. Had a great career in the Cup Series. And if you want to say that Newman's a Hall of Famer, I'm sorry, but you're just not right. He's a great driver. He's a very, very serviceable driver. One of the best drivers in my childhood, but he's not a Hall of Famer. So get out of here. Let's start off this episode as we always do with a good old-fashioned reggaeton. And let's throw it right over to interview time with Chris Wright of Nice Motorsports and an international motorsports savant. I mean that. And I called him that a couple times in our chat because this man has done so much and has accomplished a whole heck of a lot more than you would think. You may say, well, Chris Wright, okay, he's a mid-pack truck driver. Maybe he'll get into the playoffs, sneak his way in there. Who knows? He hasn't really done much else. Au contraire, my friends. He has accomplished a whole heck of a lot in sports cars, open wheels in the U.S. and overseas, and we chat about all of that and more in this conversation. Plus, what was the culture like over there compared to over here, and how did he get involved in NASCAR only three years ago? Seems like he's been in NASCAR for longer than that, but he's just getting started on this side of things. What are his short-term goals? What are his long-term goals? Where does he want to be? What does he consider a successful 2022 season? The answer to all those questions and more coming at you right now. Here's my chat with Nice Motorsports Truck Series driver, Chris Wright. Pleasure to welcome on to the show this week, driver of the 44 Nice Motorsports Chevrolet Silverado in the Camping World Truck Series, Chris Wright. And not only is he a truck series driver, but I think you guys will learn in this chat as will I. That he's an international motorsports savant. Isn't that right, Chris? I try to be sometimes. <laughs> well, we'll learn all about that. I want to start off. Uh, you're the, probably the only person that I've met who spells their name Christopher with a K and an F. I feel like that's pretty unique. Yeah, yeah I've met some people that spell their name K-R-I-S, but then T-O-P-H-E-R and right. all that nonsense. Um, yeah, I don't know anyone that spells it uh, my way. You're unique. That's what makes you you. I guess that's that's what they say, huh? It's kind of fun to write. Like I was typing it like with an F instead of a PH. And it's muscle memory because everybody always does PH and I had to train my brain for that split second to say, no, F is the correct way. But that's all you've ever known. It's... So when you're writing your name in school and stuff, did anybody ever look at you funny? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the first first few years of schooling was uh interesting but uh i mean it's it's how it's found it's, it's how it sounds you know exactly k f i mean christopher it's not you know ch and a ph and whatever it's it's how it sounds so makes it easier on me you simplified things for the christophers out there so i think they all thank you they should oh well, i'm here for everybody <laughs> man of the people Let's get into your background, Chris, and kind of how you started in this general vicinity of motorsports. I know that you started kart racing in middle school, and your dad did some racing as well. Is he the one that kind of started your passion for motorsports? Tell us how you started racing in general. So, um, 
I, I, I drove a go-kart in middle school. I didn't race in middle school. Okay. So I didn't start racing until I was 19. Um, but yeah, my dad, uh, my dad raced formula Fords and, you know, he was next to, you know, Bobby Ray Hall when they were coming up and that's how he knows Chip Ganassi from back in the day. And he started doing that. And then, uh, he got into a accident, uh, turn one at Watkins Glen and it was a brand new race car, brand new everything. And he just ran out of money after that. So he kind of stopped and never really paid attention to racing after that. But, um, you know, being in the car business, you know, having my cousins and uncles and, you know, we're all one big motorsports family. And I heard stories of my dad racing. So I always kind of was curious about it and, um, you know, took an interest to it. And I always wanted to race, you know, ever since I can remember, but I played golf when I was a kid and, my buddy uh, back in middle school got a go-kart and I went up the racetrack, cut a couple laps and said, I want to do this instead of play golf. And he's like, that's definitely not going to happen. You know, go, <laughs> go clean your clubs or something. But, um, but then, you know, when I was about 14, 15 years old, I kept on my dad and he said, if you play division one golf, I'll see what I can do about getting you in a race car. And I said, a deal's a deal. So, you know, kept competing, you know, was fortunate enough to play division one golf. And then, uh, you know, started sort of racing uh, shortly thereafter. Wow. Okay. So middle school is when you were in a go-kart, but it wasn't until yeah. after even college when you started racing somewhat yeah. competitively. So, well, the my first year of, uh, if you want to call it professional racing, I did like, you know, your random track days, and I did a Miata race at uh, Pit Race uh one summer i forget which one um but my first real kind of real season was 2015 and that was the uh second semester of my freshman year so i was on the team the summer of 14 and i started racing in early 15 so um and college didn't last too long after that (laughs) I had in my notes um, the golf aspect of things. Your dad wanted you to play golf for a long, long time. Do you think, and have you had conversations with him, is that because he knows the pitfalls of racing financially, emotionally, everything like that, or were you just really good at golf from a young age? No, I, I you know, back, gosh, this is going back a while. Um, <laughs> I was about eight, nine years old. I played uh, my three biggest sports were uh, – uh, tennis, golf, and baseball. And, uh, you know, you got to the point where I was playing, you know, on two baseball teams at the same time and tennis matches and golf tournaments and everything. So it, my dad's like, you got to make a decision, Chris. Like if you want to play high school sports or college sports or whatever, you have to, you have to go one way. You can't play a bunch of sports in college or a bunch of professional sports. You got to figure it out. So, um, when I was a kid, Golf was the newest sport to me, quote unquote. Um, I, I'd, I'd always swung a golf club, but never really played golf until I was about eight or nine years old. Um, like, I guess, uh, consistently, you know, I'd mm-hmm. play, you know, a week. I'd play, you know, maybe the 1st of July and I wouldn't touch a club until the 25th and whatever. But I, it was a newer sport to me. So I picked up on golf and I said, that's what I want to do. Um, and I loved it. I really did. I played golf, you know, every day from Easter to Thanksgiving, sixth, seventh and eighth grade. So, uh, 
you know, it's just one of those things I love and it's really good for, you know, business and learning etiquette and how to talk to people because you never know who you're going to run into at a golf course. So do you, do you it's still just, play? uh, just one of those things I try to this NASCAR, uh, NASCAR schedule is a little bit busier than what it was when I raced formula cars and just a little bit more busy. So I think I played about four or five times last year. Um, this year's looking like it's going to be probably about the same. <laughs> so, uh, not as much as I'd like, but, uh, I understand. What about like top golf? Do you ever go there with your friends and then you just absolutely obliterate them? Cause I love seeing videos of actual golfers that go there with their friends and it's just no contest. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I've been to top golf a few times. Um, I took one of my old co-drivers to a top golf in 2016. So this is way back when. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've, I've been to a couple in Charlotte, a couple back, uh, back in Pittsburgh, but I go, I just kind of hang out. I don't go for the golf. I just go to eat, you know, the chips and salsa and whatever. <laughs> do you watch a lot of golf nowadays? I do not, not anymore. So it's all, I'm always all racing. I'm always racing during the tournaments or the majors or whatever. So it's just kind of hard to keep a beat on it all. Yeah. Well, you know, Denny Hamlin, even though he's a big time cup driver and cup owner now, he has the golf guys tour. I think like he, Michael Waltrip, Guy Larson, all yeah. these guys are in it. So you got to get your chops back up. Maybe you'll get an invite. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. I haven't, I haven't played golf down in uh, Charlotte at all. Um, it's just, my clubs are up here because when I come back home, I'm taking sponsors out to play golf and yeah. whatnot. So it's just easier to keep the clubs back in Pennsylvania than it is in Charlotte. Cause I don't know who I'm going to play with until I get that invite. So you're from Pittsburgh. You still live in Pittsburgh, even though everything in NASCAR is down in Charlotte, you still live there. No, I moved down to, uh, I bought a place in the Charlotte motor speedway, uh, last May. So I moved down there full time i'd say in september i'm just back here for the week um hanging out with parents grandparents and they had a couple meetings so hey just back for the week i saw some posts that looked like you were in a condo because christian espinoza who i guess is your neighbor one of my good buddies and i was like is he friends with christian does he have his own place so it makes sense now you're christian's neighbor (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) very cool very cool so let's get into the racing aspect of things a little bit I find your background really, really interesting. And for those that don't know, I mentioned he's an international motorsports mogul or whatever I said, because Chris has been all over. He has raced so many different things. So let's dive right into it, Chris. Let's start back in 2015. You started with the Pirelli World Challenge. That's obviously sports car racing. And before we go further with your progression in sports cars and in open wheel racing in Europe, et cetera, et cetera. Can you tell us why you decided to go that route? Why sports cars and the Pirelli World Challenge is kind of one of the lower levels there specifically to try to get started in it. But why sports cars and why that realm? Um, one of my uh, friend, one of my dad's friends uh, has a son who was a factory uh, driver for Chevrolet, uh, was racing in the Pirelli World Challenge. And I'd always kind of be like, hey, you know, like, go talk to my dad about racing or, you know, see, you know, tell him, you know, what's, what's the easiest way to get into it? Because racing has changed so much throughout the decades uh, and how you get into it. Like the road my dad took, nobody would take anymore. Um, and the road, most of these guys took that are pretty good. Now no one would take, um, cause it's just changed so much. It's such a vast landscape. It's always kind of moving and shaking. 
Um, but Pro World Challenge was definitely a, you know, it was a cost effective way to get into racing. Um, you know, everyone out there, you know, some people are trying to go win races and run for the championship, but most of the people are just kind of out there to learn and get exposure and just really learn about the business of racing. And that's what I think the, the best part um, of that whole thing was. Uh, I, I'm not, I didn't really learn how to drive that much when I ran the Pro World Challenge, but I learned how racing worked. And that was one of the biggest things. Like there's a bunch of people that I see that are doing, you know, racing in this series and that series, and they're just wasting their money because it's not racing. Professional racing has forgot about that way of going about things. Um, you need to do things a specific way and hope it all falls into place. So I did that. And then the gentleman that ran the team, his name was Nick Johnson. Uh, he ran the team and, uh, own 50% of it, I think, um, you know, he, he and I kept, kept working together and then he approached me, uh, I think it was dinner, um, before the first race at Coda for the 2016 season, he said, Hey, like, what do you want to do with racing? You know, where do you want to go? Where do you see yourself? And I was like, you know, IndyCar would be like my dream. Like I want to go IndyCar racing. And he said, okay, well, we need to, talk about this more and talk about Europe and everything like that. Cause that's where those good drivers are coming from. You have to go learn in Europe. And so we kept talking about it. Um, and it didn't happen as early as I wanted it to. Um, I was supposed to go over to Europe for my first real taste of it in 2016, but the, uh, something happened over there. Like they blew an airport up or something happened. And my mom was like, absolutely not. But, you know, so, oh, so I stayed here. Um, and in 2017, we started running USF 2000 pro Mazda, the second half of that year in the, uh, Mazda, I guess the prototype lights is what you would call it. MPC class in IMSA. Uh, and I ran that 2017 and 2018 ran pro Mazda, LMP3, and uh, I was chosen for Quarter Cup Germany for the talent pool, and um, that paid for like 90% of the racing over there. So I said, why not? So I raced over in Europe, prototypes here, and Pro Moss all in the same year, and that was uh, I was a little busy. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it was just it, it's been it's been a heck of a ride. You know, I've met a lot of people. I've seen a lot of different things, and, and there's a lot of different ways people can look at racing and go about. Um, you know, how to make a car back faster or how to train drivers. And it's just been, it's been interesting. You're right. It has been a hell of a ride and it has been an interesting one, not a conventional one to get to NASCAR and stock car racing where you are now, which I find so interesting with your backstory. So let's, let's rewind a little bit because you answered some of my questions there, but I want to hit on a couple things. So I think the timeline yep. is 2015. Like I said, Pirelli world challenge. A couple years later, I think it was 2017, you ran the IMSA Prototype Challenge, and then the next year after that, you mentioned you won an LMP3. When did you know, yeah. like in that three, four-year span, that you were good and that you could do it, and it was a situation where you could succeed and you could build upon it? Yeah, so it's it, it was really – it was a very interesting – um, road because a lot of the kids that I'd race against were go-karters and they've been go-karting since they've been five, six years old. Right. And, you know, USF 2000, I learned how to do 
everything in that car. And it took me, you know, we kind of broke it into, uh, we broke the field into three sections. And they, they got the front, the middle, and the back. And the first week I was in the middle of the back third of the field. And then the week after that, I was in the front of the back third of that field. Then I just kept inching my way up mm-hmm. um, throughout the season. And then I think we were at Indianapolis in mid-May in 2016. And we made some engineering changes um, from St. Petersburg until then. But uh, we were turning, you know, some of the fastest times in the race. And we were like, okay, so something's working here. And let's go back and figure out where that is. So, you know, fortunately, um, you know, we've had the – funds to go testing and try stuff out and go to different racetracks and learn them before we race there uh, and and whatnot. So 2026, 2017, sorry, um, 2017 was the first year. And then as soon as I got into the prototype light car, the first test I had was with RC Enerson, who's uh, made a couple appearances in IndyCar. And he was, when he was coming up, he was considered to be you know, really good. And there was, he was a big hopeful. Um, the first time I tested the prototype lights car and I, I had nothing, I didn't know that much about any of these prototypes or open wheel cars. I'm just kind of getting my feet wet. Uh, we did a test at Barber and I was two tenths faster than he was, and he was going to be an Indy car the following year. So, you know, it was, it's, it's small little kind of glimmers of hope. Um, that I think have guided me through, through my career and kind of helped me give me the confidence I'm looking for. Um, and you just look for the small victories that, you know, racing or your career can offer you. And that's, that's kind of what I base um, everything off of, especially, you know, some of the progression I make. Um, but yeah, it's, and we did the, the prototype light car and that was, that was a good season. Uh, Kyle Masson won the championship that year. Uh, you know, he's been running that car for about three, four years before I stepped in. And then I was, I took second in that championship in the year after I won the P3 thing. So, you know, we, I, I really like the prototype cars. Those are, those are fun. And I, you know, the way my driving style is the way those things need to be driven, they definitely agree with each other. Um, so it's just kind of, it was, it was tough letting that go the prototypes. Um, but you know, I'm, in NASCAR now, and I have zero regrets. I really like being in NASCAR. We'll get there. But again, your story is so deep and so complex that I really want to hit on all these different things. So you you realize that you've got the goods and you know that you have what it takes and you're in a good position with different teams and with different series and different classes within IMSA to have that success on the surface, right? If people that are listening to this are a NASCAR fan they may not know a ton about IMSA. They know about Lamar. They know about Sebring. They know about the Rolex 24 at Daytona. And a couple years after you won that LMP3 championship, you ran the 24 hours of Daytona and you finished second in your class. I believe that was 2019. I mean, that's big time stuff. And I get at this point, you're already pretty established in sports cars. The driving style fits you. The cars fit you. But the Rolex 24 is a whole different animal. That's a big, big deal. How big of a deal was it for you to not just compete in that race, but have a lot of success in it your first time? Um, you know, it's it's just kind of one of those things. Uh, I tell this to every single person. 
Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things as a as a sports car driver and a road course driver, that is the worst race to finish second in. Um, you know, I I I always told myself uh, when I started racing, I said, you know, I won't get a watch until I win one. And um, the the way that race played out was, you know. Our crew, we weren't the fastest. It was me, Kyle Masson, his dad, and another gentleman. And our driver lineup was not the strongest. I mean, some of those guys were running full pro lineups. And, you know, we just couldn't compete with having the uh, the two bronzes um, kind of assist us. So, you know, all, all we tried to do was do our scheduled pit stops. We don't want to put a new nose on. We don't want to repair this. We don't. We, just get around the racetrack as safely as possible. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the first time I get in the car, it's about 7.30 at night. And I think I get back, I, I get out of the car at 9, 9.30. And I go lay down in bed and I'm like, I don't know if I'll get to drive that thing again. I really don't. So I go to bed and I wake up at like midnight. And I'm like, man, like. We're still like on the lead lap. We're still running. Like this is great. So, so I go hop in the car for a few hours, um, and that was a long stint. That was like a three-hour stint. Um, I get out, and I'm like, "There's no way I'm waking up in the morning and you know driving this race car." And then I wake up. We're lapped down, but we're still running. And I think we were in second or third place at the time. And I'm like, "Holy crap, guys! What's going on here?" <laughs> so we. Uh, they call me uh, to pit lane because I you have to be there. So if you're driving the car right now and I'm at right after you, I have to be at the pit box in case you have you, you get sick or whatever. So there's always right. another driver uh, in pit lane waiting. So I get there and I think uh, one of the gentlemen's driving and it's raining and he doesn't have a lot of a lot of experience in the rain. So he comes in because yeah, it's probably better idea that he came in and then uh i go out for like an hour and i come in we put this gentleman back out but it, it got to the point where we were lapped down and there were cautions and whatever but when the when they said you know one to go i told the team i said hey i'm starting in pit lane like all these other guys are going to take the green flag i'm going to start in pit lane just because the, the car behind us is a lap down to us. The car in front of us is a lap ahead of us. Like we can't gain anything by risking right. our car. So I started in pit lane and, you know, made it up through the field, you know, two, three, four, five laps later, whatever it is. And um, there was a caution. The caution turned into a red flag and no one really knows what's going on. Um, no one knows who the caution is or, why there's a caution so i get out i start talking to some people blah 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 and the car that caused the caution was the leader in our class of course it was yeah so they red flag it and i think i think we have like three hours left in the race but they they red flag it and then i hear this rumor i said hey you know i don't think they can get that car restarted so I guess they put it, they towed it back to the garage, put it back together, but something in the electrical system shorted out because of all the rain and they couldn't get it restarted. So 
then they, you know, called the race at, th- at that point. And I was just gut wrenched. I'm like, we should have won this thing. Oh my so God. Yeah, it was, uh, it was good. I mean, it was good experience. Um, you know, little team that could, I guess, I don't know. We were, we, we did not have the same equipment as all the other teams. We didn't have the same driver lineups, but, uh, you know, we came away with silver. So could be, could have been worse. You're a good storyteller. I asked the question. I knew you finished second. And then I was so enthralled with that story that I was waiting for you to tell me that they went back green and you got, you got on the lead lap and you won. Damn. Yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> I, it, it, it's, it's a heartbreaker for sure. But, uh, yeah. you know, one of these days, you know, if I get a, another opportunity, I'd like another crack at it. So you don't have a watch? I do not. <laughs> Waiting for that opportunity, man. Call Chris. I, I he will, needs a watch. I won't wear one. I won't wear one until I win one. Ever? Yeah. I mean, if I'm like 80 years old, maybe, or something. But right now, I'm not doing it. I'm holding off for a while. Hey, man. I respect that. I respect it. So close. So does that make you hungrier? I mean, it's cliche, but are you hungry to get back in that race and try to re- try to get some revenge? You know, th- interesting you say that. So last year, walking in- into Young's Motorsports, you know, I had a sense of what NASCAR was all about. I did a couple ARCA races beforehand. I did the truck race at the Daytona Road Course in 2020. Mm-hmm. But 2021 was my real rookie season. Um, you know, so I came in, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, didn't really know what was going on. And when I was, you know, seeing all the Instagram stories and stuff of all my buddies down at the 24 racing for, you know, this team or that team or whatever, you know, I was kind of like, oh, man, you know, I want to be doing that right now. I think it'd be kind of cool. Um, this year was my first year where I'm like, you know, I don't really want to be doing that. I'm really excited for Daytona. I'm really excited to see, you know, how we can do with this 44 truck. So I'm all uh, right now I'm all NASCAR, you know, I'm not looking the rear view mirror, not looking in front of me. I'm just kind of focused on what I'm doing right now. Good. That's cool to hear. I'm not necessarily putting that chapter totally behind you in the rear view, but focused on the here and now, which I think is, is healthy. Yeah, I mean, if if an opportunity pops up that's you know too good to kind of pass up, right. then, you know, sure, I'll I'll take advantage of it. But uh, I'm not not planning on anything right now. Yeah. So you're in NASCAR now. We've hit on the sports car stuff. You mentioned the open wheel stuff with the USF 2000, and you mentioned that going to IndyCar at one point in your career was the ultimate goal. Correct me if I'm wrong with the timeline of all this stuff, but while you were racing sports cars, whether it was Pirelli World Challenge, LMP3s, Rolex, all this stuff, uh, I think you mentioned that you ended up getting into the road to Indy ladder because that was obviously where you wanted to go. IndyCar was kind of the main goal at one of those points. Why was open wheel racing and why was IndyCar at those certain points of your career the pinnacle for you? Why then? Um... I just, you know, I, I always love, you know, this Formula One and, you know, I, IndyCar is more kind of like an American Formula One mm-hmm. um, that cost a whole lot less. Um, and it, it's just, it was just one of those things that it was, I, I just thought it was cool. I mean, I like some of my drivers, some of my driver friends, um, you know, my one good buddy, his name is Lee Keen. He has a really popular video on YouTube called uh, Rain Dance. And it's him in the 24 hours of Nürburgring driving in the middle of the night when it's raining. And it's a really cool video, but that's neither here nor there. Um, 
you know, I asked him, I said, you know, so why, why were you a Porsche guy? And he was like, you know, I, I just love Porsches. Like it has not like Indy cars are cool. Ferraris are cool, whatever, but I love Porsche. And so it's just kind of, you know, where do you want to be? And I wanted to be an Indy car driver and mm -hmm. I made the necessary steps and we had the necessary kind of plans put in place to, uh, achieve that goal. But, you know, we, uh, kind of got derailed there with COVID. So yeah. is what it is. I hear you. And um, you mentioned you also went overseas. You ran British Formula 3, I think, before COVID at that point. I had Santino Ferrucci on um, the show last year, and he obviously did a lot of racing over in Europe. He was telling me all the different guys that he raced against. I mean, really, really stout names, Formula 1 drivers, IndyCar champions, did you race against any big names that we'd recognize now today and say, oh, wait, that guy's doing a lot of big things? Because I'm sure that over there it was a different culture and a different vibe than it is here. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think back. I feel like if you can't think um, of any off the top of your head, the answer is probably no. <laughs> no, I mean, like, the, there are some guys that, you know, that, I mean, Ferrucci ran over there a few years ago, so... Um, yeah. like if anybody from, I guess my class, so to speak, is going to make it, it's not going to be for the next few years, but okay. yeah, there's a bunch of guys, you know, running in F3 and, and, you know, doing sports car stuff, but, uh, no, but that was, that was one of the best things I did. Um, over in Europe, they just do it so much differently. I mean, it, it, it they do it right over there, uh, especially for the road course racing. Um, there's not a better school for teaching someone how to road race or teaching someone about, especially formula racing, um, than the, uh, Brits and Europeans, cause they are, they are so enthralled by that. It's, it's amazing. And again, correct so me if I'm wrong here, there. correct me if I'm wrong here with the, with the facts and the figures, but the research that I did, uh, when you raced British formula three, you know, up until this point, you've had a lot of success again, competing in the Rolex 24, winning these championships and all these different divisions, but your time in formula three, it didn't treat you as well. Results wise, you did not fare as well as you would have liked to. I think what I saw was that you finished last in the standings. My question is how did that impact how you felt about racing and about your talent personally? Because I've heard a lot of different stories from drivers that have had success at every level they've been at. And then they get to what they think at that point is the top of their specific division. And, they don't have as much success as they're used to having. So how did that impact you? That's a good question. Um, I have, I've had that question, maybe not worded like that, uh, asked me a few times. Yeah, about, I'm an asshole. Um, I just Europe. was like, yeah, you sucked that year. How'd that feel? <laughs> yeah, no. So, so we, we missed a few, we missed a few races. Um, okay. And same thing that happened with the Quera Cup Germany deal. Um, you know, I had some prior engagements and I was doing, other races and that's kind of why that in the championship we didn't do so well but i'm not gonna sit here for you and say you know we pulled it every race and won a bunch and you know we were that good but uh no it was definitely difficult um going over there i mean there's a the biggest reason uh that it, it was a struggle for me was because when you when you come here and you do the road to it Indy, you're racing the Indy car tracks every single week from when you're 15, 16 years old. So going over there, learning a new tire, learning a new track every single week, mm -hmm. 
that was the biggest thing for me. Um, I mean, you know, you could do all the simulator stuff you want, but no one's going to be really fast on a simulator and then go right to a racetrack and be really fast. That's not, that's not how it works. There's just so many, just, just minuscule things at the racetrack that they can't replicate on a simulator. So, you know, it was definitely, we were starting, you know, it was almost like a day late, a dollar short. Um, you know, I went from British F3, which is what I struggled in. And then I was planning on running formula three, the big formula three, uh, the following year in 2020. And we go to a preseason test in Barcelona. And I think I was fourth or something out of 12 or 15 drivers. So I knew I still had it. Um, and I was really excited to keep, you know, racing in Europe, you know, the race of formula cars, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's just the way COVID worked, you know, it didn't, it didn't help me out, but, uh, you know, I came over to NASCAR and I'm loving it. Let's get to NASCAR. That's the meat and potatoes of this conversation. I find it really interesting because now you're kind of a, a household name in the truck series. We've seen you in the Xfinity series a handful of times. You've raced ARCA, obviously. But your first start in stock cars was actually when racing returned in the ARCA Menard Series West out at Utah Motorsports Campus in 2020. And that was your first start, I believe, in stock cars. Is that right? Yeah, so that was uh, that was my first time. I think it was end of June. I want to say it was twenty yeah, twenty summer. Twenty twenty six makes sense. Yeah, so that was the first time driving a big heavy stock car, um, and that was uh, you know we we had an interesting week. I had no idea what wheel hop was. People were telling me about it, but I'm like, I don't know what that is. Like, what are we talking about? You don't know. Um, what you don't know so, at that point. Yeah, it, it's yeah. There's you just, you got to feel it first. And then you're like, Oh, I know what that is. So, uh, we went out on uh, practice and wheel hopped it around because my idea, like when my left foot goes to the brake pedal, my brain's telling these fingers right here to keep pulling the paddles as fast as they can go. As soon as I think about the brakes, I'm downshifting because in the formula cars, if you think about it, you're slowing down 50 miles an hour in that second. So Son, this is Arca. We ain't got no pedals. We got no hand yeah, paddles. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I hit the brake. And then as soon as my foot hit the brake, I'm downshifting the third, then downshifted the second, and then go into first if you have to. Um, and that was kind of one of the issues I had in the uh, 24 uh, truck when I ran Daytona Road Course uh, in 2020. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, blew up the uh, gearbox there in practice. And, uh, we had to go to a short track box for the races and, you know, finish second and third and whatever. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I had no idea. And it, so, I still have like little tendencies. I'm like, okay, I hit the brakes. I can't downshift just yet. Wait a little even bit. Still. And, yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's going to stick with me for a while. So, back then right like that's still kind of in the middle of towards the beginning of covid was nascar on your radar at that time or was that just kind of something that came together and because i find it crazy to think we're sitting here in 2022 in march your first start in a stock car was a little over two years ago it's bonkers 
Yep. So, so the way it worked out was, um, COVID hits and my dad goes to all my races. And at the time we had a contract and at that time, these countries also said, you know, if you go from the U S Spain, when you get to Spain, you got to spend 14 days in quarantine and then you can go do whatever you want to do. And then the U S said, if you're coming into the U S from whatever country, you got to spend 14 days here and then you can go do whatever else. So my dad looked at that and said, Chris, you know, I can't run my business, you know, spending a month doing nothing every time we go over there, you know, I, I wouldn't work. And so I said, yeah, you're right. You know, and, you know, thinking about my grandparents and everything, it just wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't a great idea um, for me to be traveling abroad like that. Cause I'm really close to my grandparents. And at that time we didn't know what COVID was all about. So, you know, they're getting up in their late eighties. So it's just, it was just a lot more careful that we had to be for, for them and just for everybody. Cause no one had any clue what COVID really was. You saw it on the news. Um, so what happened was, you know, I talked to my dad, I said, you know, Hey, you know, what about NASCAR? We've talked about it like almost jokingly over the years, but uh, never nothing ever serious. And he's like, Oh, I don't know, Chris, they go talk to Chip. So my dad calls Chip up and sends me over to his office in Pittsburgh. And we talked for two hours about stuff. And, you know, he says, You know, I asked him what my options were. And he's like, Well, you can do this, 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 and this. And you can go the NASCAR route if you'd like to. I said, yeah, I was talking to my dad about it. You know, they got the new car coming out and, you know, it should lend itself to road racers like me. And, you know, could be a good time to go the NASCAR route. And he said, yeah, you know, it's, it could be good. So I, uh, kind of took his advice and he pointed me around and showed me where to go and who to talk to, who not to talk to. And it was, it was good to have him in my corner for that, but he's, uh, He's kind of gave me like I, I my dad and I I wanted to go NASCAR racing, but Chip kind of bridged me to NASCAR and uh I'm really really, really happy that I'm here. So how did the relationship with Chip and you start? Because it sounds like he and your dad were friends or had a professional relationship. But as we know, like Chip Ganassi is a motorsports icon and he was in NASCAR up until his departure at the end of last year. So how did the relationship between you two kind of grow from there? So um, Chip and I have always uh, kind of, we have a very interesting relationship. Um, Chip and my mother knew each other way, way, way back when. And my mother, my dad and Chip and, and one of his girlfriends back before anyone was married, they used to go on double dates and, you know, that was, that was, they've known each other forever. Um, but my dad met Chip, um, through business. My, uh, my granddad owned a car dealership and Chip's dad owned a big sand and gravel company. And Chip Ganassi was the head of the fleet department for the, uh, their company. So he'd buy trucks off my dad and they'd meet at Eaton Park and which is like a Waffle House um, up in Pittsburgh, and they kind of just do business like that. Uh, okay, but uh, but Chip and I have, you know, I'm like like a I don't know nephew. I'd kind of 
want to call myself to him because uh, we have fun going back and forth. And, you know, it's not like I'm not going to go talk to Chip like another driver would. You know, I'd, I'd approach him as, you know, just a father of a friend and or a friend of my father. And, you know, we, we've we've had some good times together and we, we've cracked some jokes at each other. So it's just it's a good relationship we have. But, uh, yeah, I mean, right now, you know, he's you know, he and my dad are talk a lot more than than I talk to him. But, uh, yeah, he's, you know, always asking about me and kind of telling me, you know, hey, you know. You should probably do this as an opportunity to go do it and just kind of looking after me that sort of that aspect. So it's all good. I know you're happy with where you're at. I'm sure Chip's happy with where he's at, but was there a little part of you last year when you heard that he was selling and he was getting out of NASCAR and stock cars specifically that made you a little bit sad since now you're kind of planting your roots down here and he was moving on? No. Um, I know that for a lot of these guys, you know, a lot of them have a really big passion for racing. Um, and that's the reason they get into it. But, you know, at some point you have to make business decisions. And I know that Chip didn't necessarily want to get out of NASCAR, but, you know, it was a, it was a business decision and just based off, you know, where he saw himself going in the next 10 years or wherever, um, just kind of fit everything. So, yeah. you know, I wasn't sad, you know, it's, I, I understand. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's always, he's always moving and shaking, doing different deals with, this car, this manufacturer. So, you know, it's just, I understand his whole program. So after you had your first couple starts at Utah, I think you actually had started a late model race at Hickory. I think that was for GMS racing. Um, I feel like going from sports car racing and even a road course in Arca out in Utah to a late model at Hickory, that's a little bit of a stark contrast. Take me back there and what the feelings and emotions were when you started that race. Yeah, going from Silverstone to Hickory's a it's a it's a interesting uh, interesting thing. But I feel like uh, Pietro yeah, Fittipaldi knows about that though. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's fun. Um, it was just such it's such a different way. Like a lot of us road course kids, you know, we had no clue about any of this stuff. I mean, I'm still learning how like the playoffs work and everything, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to wrap my head around everything. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's cool to, you know, I raced Hickory a handful of times, you know, I did, ran uh, New Smyrna a bunch um, and, you know, Florence and, you know, I'm trying to get around and doing some legend car stuff now. And that's, Solid. that's fun. So, um, yeah, it's just, it, it's, I've had a great experience so far. I'm, I'm happy for everything I've, I've experienced on the NASCAR side of things thus far. So fast forwarding from there, you obviously went deep into the truck series. You ran some more ARCA races as well. Xfinity road courses for Sam Hunt racing last year. And then you ran a full year for Young's Motorsports in the truck series. When you kept progressing and getting more starts in different cars, in different series on different track types, was that a situation where you literally just wanted to get as much seat time as you possibly could and learn stock car racing, the ins and the outs of it, the best that you possibly could yeah. so you can get used to it faster? Yeah. Uh, one of the big differences between road course racing and NASCAR or stock car racing is NASCAR or stock cars, they're all really similar to one another. I know the you know, the diehards are saying, oh, you know, the Xfinity car is so much different than the truck and the truck's so much different than the Gen 6 car and whatever. You know, they're all basically the same. 
like your driving styles are going to be tuned to a different car, not totally changed. The road course side of things, like USF 2000 had 180 horsepower. Then Pro Mazda had 320 horsepower. And they had bigger tires, bigger wings as you moved up and, you know, almost double the horsepower. So those cars, the difference in those cars is great. You know, I mean, you're totally changing everything about the car. You're not just changing the body. Up. And, um, you know, like all like back last year, all the stock cars had track bars. You know, they all had they all had the same parts in, in the place. And so it was mm-hmm. I was just trying to learn how everything works on a stock car, how the rear end can move around. And there's so many different things that I just needed to kind of come to grips with. And I still am coming to grips with it. Um but uh, it's this year, I think it's going a little bit better. So you've run some for Nice, or sorry, not Nice. You've run some for GMS. You've run some for Young's Motorsports, Sam Hunt Racing. What led you to this point this year in 2022, full-time with Nice Motorsports? How'd you get to this point? Um, so over the off-season, uh, I did, did a legend car test for Joe Ryan race cars. And uh, Ron Hornaday was there and his daughter Candace was there. And it was my first time in a legend car on an asp- on an oval. And I was, I was pretty quick. I think I was a 10th off of uh, one of the, one of the top kids in the nation. So um, my uh, uh, Joe was saying, Hey, you know, you're, you're doing all right here. And, you know, I, I was there and I was like, man, this is Ron Hornaday. You know, I threw back to him um, last year and that was the coolest throwback of all time. Um, but he's like, Hey, you know, I was, you know, I, I like you and, you know, I want to help you because you kind of seem not lost in NASCAR, but just kind of confused as the way the, the whole thing works, you know, going, not just driving, but just the whole NASCAR world. And he's helped me, you know, guide my way through it. So, uh, you know, after a bunch of long meetings and sleepless nights, we ended up at Nice um, for this season. And I'm really happy. Um, you know, Al Nice is great. And, you know, that whole, that whole program is really, really being built up. You know, I don't know if people can see it, but, uh, you know, Carson did pretty well at Vegas and had a fast truck. And, uh, you know, they're, I know people like to compare all the Chevy teams to a GMS or a GMS like it was, you know, two years ago, let's say, but, uh, nice is, nice is getting right there. Yeah. I've heard you talk about Ron Hornaday a couple times. Your throwback last year was in my mind, one of, if not the best, because not that it's yeah. just throwback to that Ron truck, but it threw back to that Kevin Harvick GM good wrench scheme back in like 2004, 2005, one of my favorite schemes of all time. It was awesome. But Ron Hornaday, yeah. as a mentor and as a Hall of Famer, how did you get hooked up with him in terms of your relationship with him now? Because I think I read that you're with Team Hornaday Development, and he's obviously had a big hand in your career and trying to guide you to where you are. Yeah, so the the throwback last year had nothing to do um, with – I didn't know Ron back then. I had – you know. If you'd have put him in front of me, I would have told you I have no idea who that is. So, yeah, I, I did the I did a Legends car test, and he was there and said, "Hey, you know, you're, you're pretty talented. You know, I like the way you drove the car into turn three or whatever." So, um, 
you know, we just kind of started with that. And then his daughter uh, is helping me out. Um, she's more or less a managerial uh, part of my program, along cool. with Blaine Perkins. So Blaine and I are we're not teammates, but we are teammates. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, it's it's been good. Ron's awesome. I mean, I can't I can't say enough good things about the guy, and the whole family's just great. So you mentioned Legend Cars. I, I saw you posted some pictures of that in the offseason. That's where you got first hooked up with Ron and where you met him. Are you doing a lot of that now, or was that more so just a one-off type of thing and you do it whenever the opportunity presents itself? Because that is the backbone of kind of stock car racing in the ladder, as you know. Yeah, no, that's uh, – I, I bought I bought a car, um, and I ran, uh, I ran some of the Charlotte uh, road course races this year um in january ran fayetteville uh speed weeks on the dirt and uh yeah i'm just it's good it's you know it's really affordable seat time um and you know i'm i'm still trying to learn how to go left uh so to speak so i mean anything that will help me do that is uh is what i'm what i'm you know trying to look forward to and there's a really great joe ryan race cars joe ryan owns the legend car team and there's some unbelievable people that are surrounding uh, the drivers over there. So it's just a good program. And I can already see a lot of the uh, progression that I've uh, made just from the uh, legend cars. This is basically year three in stock cars for you. And let me just name off some of the teams and the owners that you've already driven for Young's Motorsports, Andy Hillenberg, Rhett Jones Racing and Mark Rhett, Jefferson Pitts Racing out West, GMS, Nice, Sam Hunt Racing. I mean, this is year three, and you've already gone through a ton of big-time teams, big-name owners in the sport. Do you think that's a testament to the relationships that you're able to build and the talent that you have behind the wheel? Why do you can Why do you think that you've been able to have all these different opportunities in such a short time period? Um, you know, it's just you know, with the uh, with running out west and doing some of the Rhett Jones stuff. It's just, you know, I, I've, you know, with first national bank coming on uh, last year as a sponsor has been a lot of help uh, with me financially and kind of letting me kind of look at the options for what I can do. Um, and just the way some of that stuff pops up. Um, like we went to Kansas last year, in the truck, and that was unbelievably bad, but the year prior, um, I was running, you know, top four, top five. Um, and I was one of the fastest cars in the second stage of the Arca race at Kansas. So I'm like, hang on, something's not lining up here. So what happened was I said, all right, I want another shot at Kansas. Um, because this truck race, like this, I can't imagine like I was this bad. And we took, uh, Brett Jones's uh, car out there and we were, pretty quick so you know it's just kind of the one-off stuff you know i ran mid-ohio watkins Glen for uh rhett jones last year as well um did the road courses and xfinity for sam so it's mm -hmm. just you know kind of being hooked up with the right people right place right time right opportunities um you know, i've been fortunate in that sense so you got uh, a handful of teammates right now at nice motorsports dean thompson lawless allen carson hosevar first off What's the weirdest hat that you've seen him wear, like around the shop or at the track? Because he is the hat man. He is the hat man. Um, God, that hat he put 
put on at Daytona. I just had some questions about that thing. Um, but, you know, he's going to do what he's going to do, and I love Carson. Yeah. So, you know, it is what it is. You guys get along well. You guys vibe as a foursome at Nice. It's it's a bit of a younger crowd at that race team than people are used to seeing over there, but Al Nice seems to put a lot of trust into you guys. Yeah, uh, yeah, we definitely – it definitely does – have a younger team vibe to it you know i don't think lawless is the only person that can just barely drink alcohol um <laughs> so you know it's uh it's fun to kind of you know see what uh, the younger nascar kids are like um you know it, it tyler's last year it was you know spencer boyd's my age tate fogelman right is right up there so it's, it's just interesting to see you know just the dynamic and how, how it all plays out but uh no it's, I mean, it's good you know we uh went all the chevy guys went up to spring mountain here last week before the vegas race and all kind of gave us a chance to talk to one another like there's a bunch of guys i didn't really talk to like talked to enfinger a little bit last year but i talked to him a bunch this week and Derek Krause and jack wood and it was it's just it's it's good you know i like it and I believe your crew chief is Wally Rogers. I know there's only been a couple races, but the plan, I assume, is to keep him paired with you atop the pit box. Have you been able to gain a relationship with him? Because, as you know, crew chief driver relationship, whatever series, whatever car, truck you're in, that is ultra important as well. Yeah, I, uh, you know, the one of the first things I said, you know, when I went to go talk with Cody Efa, who's the general manager over at Nice, I was, I was talking to him, Phil, and Wally, and Phil's the uh, competition director and uh, kind of head head honcho for the trucks over at the uh, Nice building. But, uh, you know, I walked in there, and I was like, guys, you know, I'm just trying to learn here. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to go win you a championship. I'm not going to go in any races. I'm trying to learn and, uh, you know, just try to make progression every single week. So going in with that mindset, they liked it because there's a lot of kids out there that, you know, walk into a truck team for the first time and say, Hey, you know, I'm going to go win a championship. Right. Like people look at you like, you know, what, what are you saying? Come on. What, what are you doing? So, so, so going at it, you know, seeing a lot of different race teams and a lot of different series, I kind of know what to expect at this point in my career. I know how much I know. I, I know, I know where I, I am on the scale of, you know, this kid knows how to drive a truck and this kid has no idea how to drive a truck. I know where I am on that spectrum where I have a good sense of where I am. And, you know, this, this whole game is not about, it's not about being perfect. It's about making progress every single week. I mean, you hear some of the top guys, Denny Hamlin. Now I know they're driving the you know next gen car now, but every single week they say they're learning something every single week. And, you know, that's kind of what my focus is. I'm just trying to learn as much and kind of absorb as much as I can. And, you know, being being that candid and open with Wally and my spotter tab, you know, we're all on the same page. So we're all kind of uh, working really hard for one another. And, you know, we don't get discouraged if, you know, like Vegas, I spun myself out um, with, you know, 32 or 35 to go or whatever it was. Um, you know, I told the guys before the race, I said, hey, you know, I'm going to go try to pass some cars on the inside and I just kept working up to it. You know, I made that move a couple of times early on in the race and every time, every time I did it, Tab said, Hey, you know, watch out. They're going to pack some air and, you know, it's going to get loose on you. So I just kept pushing the envelope and, you know, I found where that limit is. 
So now I can go to, right. I don't know about Atlanta, so to speak, the next mile and a half with that in the memory bank. Just but, you know, if I, yeah, and it's just, you, you got to, when you learn, you have to take risks. You know, I could have said, you know, screw this, you know, I'm not going to go push the envelope. And I could have settled for a seventh or eighth place. But, you know, I, I feel better moving forward, um, you know, knowing what I know now and still, you know, still be okay in points. You know, we're not, it's not the end of July right now. So, uh, you know, we're okay. Yeah. I find that interesting that, you know, your expectations are maybe even more realistic than a lot of people, not just your age, but in your position. I mean, you understand you're not going to go out and win a bunch of races and contend for the championship, not necessarily make the playoffs either. So I'll ask you point blank. What are your expectations for the rest of the year with this 44 team and Nice Motorsports? Do you have a specific set of goals that you want to accomplish or is it as simple as learning every single week? Um, you know, learning is learning's the big thing. I mean, if I go win a championship this year, yeah, that'd be great. But if I don't learn anything, what's it worth? You know, so um, I think the the higher overarching goals definitely make the playoffs. Um, you know, they everyone kind of they they have confidence me at Mid Ohio in the truck race because we're going there this year. And uh, you know, I I don't think it's super out of the uh out of the question um it's definitely not gonna be easy to uh achieve but uh you know i think I, I, the truck's fast i mean you know if you would ask me chris what are your goals for qualifying in vegas i say well it doesn't really matter just i, I mean go make the race you know i don't want to be the one guy that goes home <laughs> you know and that's that, that's it's all that matters to me is just kind of doing making progress but not making stupid decisions in the uh on on the path there you know you can you can make bad decisions and screw up and get to you know a goal that you you've wanted to achieve but did you get there the right way and you know maybe maybe not and i'm trying to i'm trying to do everything the right way um from where i am it sounds like you are a couple more because i know i gotta let you run you talk about progress and doing things the right way what does that progress look like for you short-term and long-term? What are some short-term goals that you want to achieve? Long-term goals, where do you want to see yourself in two, three, five, ten years down the road in NASCAR? Yeah, I mean, the where I want to be, um, you know, I, I want to be in cup here in, you know, two, three, four, five years, whatever whatever it might take. That's that's the goal. Um, racing for one of the big teams is, you know, everyone's goal. Um, but for – Short-term stuff, just take it day by day. Know that, you know, say I'm making the best decision I possibly can in this moment. And then when the next question comes up, do the same thing and just keep making good, good small victories. Um, and I think, I think good things will happen. Um, you know, we had, we could have been, I think, the fastest Chevy qualifying at Vegas. Um you know, I think we, we qualified what 16th or 17th or something mm -hmm. about a 10th and a half down from, uh, or not a 10th and a half, a little, maybe about a 10th slower than, uh, Grant, who was the fastest Chevy, but I completely missed turns three and four. So, you know, I, I came back and my crew chief's like, Hey man, you know, you totally missed three and four, but, uh, wow, you were fast. And, you know, I was like, yeah, you know, it's, 
it's just one of those things. Like I'm, I'm new to truck qualifying. I mean, take out Daytona. Um, you know, I haven't done much qualifying. So just kind of learning, you know, what it feels like to tape it off solid in the front, you know, what it feels like to go out with, you know, higher pressures in the tires. It's just one of those things, but you know, we'll get there and, you know, just, just keep a big memory bank and keep filling it out. and You'll be there at some point. As a Pittsburgh guy, how cool is it to meet Ryan Shazier? Ryan's a cool dude. He's a, he's a really good guy. Um, really humble. Um, he started a trucking, a truck shipping company, um, for dealerships and stuff. And, you know, he, he came in and spoke to my brother and I about, you know, doing business with us and really cool to meet him. Really personable, super humble. And you know, God bless him. He's, he's unbelievable. Yeah. Awesome story. All right. I will let you run. Just do me a favor. And whenever you're in the truck or the Xfinity car this year, don't go airborne because that Indy road course last year was a pretty wild ride. <laughs> ha, I'll do what I can. Can't make any promises though. Yeah. And also come back with another fire throwback because you got a lot to live up to after last year. I, 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 I realized I was done a year too early, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll think of something. Yeah. Ron's got some good throwbacks that you can maybe choose from. Well, Chris, I appreciate you so much, man. It's been great getting to know you a little bit better. I think the fans will have a newfound appreciation for you and your road to get here. So we wish you the best of luck for the rest of the year in the truck series. I'm sure we'll be seeing you hopefully running up front contending for that playoff spot. And we will see you here at the racetrack soon, my man. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, man. And we're back. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. A big, big thank you to Chris for obviously carving out so much time for me on a busy, busy week. And thank you to Courtney for helping coordinate that conversation, the fine folks at Nice Motorsports as well. Appreciate everybody for helping get that conversation squared away. But none more than Chris for giving me the time, the honesty, and the perspective. So I appreciate you, brother. Looking forward to seeing you at the racetrack sometime soon. And best of luck in the next few weeks. Briefly, before we close out the show, got to give Alex Bowman his flowers for winning that race in Las Vegas. More so give Greg Ives a call because he, Rudy Fugel, and also Cliff Daniels at Hendrick Motorsports all made the call to take two tires at the end of the race. Track position is king. Clean air is still key. They got that, and they beat the Joe Gibbs Racing duo of Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr., who took on four tires at the end of the race. And Bowman, the showman, gets her done in Sin City. And if you didn't hear or you didn't see, Kyle Busch basically was salty. He admitted as much. Bowman basically was saying that he was salty. And, you know, I get why he was. Kyle essentially said that the same guy that backs into every win backs into another one. Just imagine adding two, three, four, five, ten, twenty 10, 20 F-bombs in that sentence. And you basically had Kyle's in-car radio. I had Alex on the Front Stretch podcast this past week. Please go ahead and listen to that when this episode's over in a couple minutes. But he essentially said, look, I get why he was mad. Uh, You know, I probably would have been mad. I don't know if I would have said that stuff. But we've talked since. We're all good. It was a heat of the moment thing. Kyle was pissed. Um, And he should have been. I mean, he's a competitor. He's Kyle Busch. Of course, he's going to speak his mind and not be happy when he finishes second or anything besides first. So I get that. But at the same time, I don't think Kyle's right. Sure, Bowman has gotten lucky, and he has put himself in position to win a lot of races late when other drivers have not done so. But backing into wins? Lucky? I I don't know. I I think Bowman's a heck of a race car driver. I think Greg Ives is a heck of a crew chief. I think that 48 team is underrated if that's possible for a team 
that won four times last year and has already won once this year. So give Alex Bowman his flowers because this man got fired at the Taco Bell drive-thru and he has come a long, long way. So I hate to disagree with the Kyle Busch, but I do. I don't think that he's lucky and he backs into every win. I think that he puts himself in the team, puts him in position to capitalize when the moment is for the taking. And he did it once again in Las Vegas. So can't be mad at that. And we're headed to Phoenix this weekend. As always, it's a big weekend and it's an important one because obviously the championship weekend for Truck, Xfinity, and Cup is at Phoenix. Truck Series not in action this weekend, but the Arkham Menard Series takes its place. Huge, huge car count for that race this weekend, which is awesome to see. I'm excited about the potential lineup we have coming up on the podcast. I'm in the process of nailing down a few different guests for the coming weeks. And let's just say that they span a bunch of different areas in motorsports, media, competition, team, et cetera, et cetera. I'm excited for you guys to hear what we got cooking, and I'm excited to bring them to you. That'll wrap things up for episode 139 of Victory Lane. 2.0 party people thank you guys for listening as always i saw a lot of good response to last week's episode with pete pistoni so i appreciate you guys listening if you like what you heard please leave me a rating and a review on apple podcasts or itunes you can also find us on spotify google soundcloud wherever you get your podcasts we should be available there for your consumption and if we're not drop me a line and i will try to rectify that issue for you again you, you guys know i'm the judge jury and executioner of this deal I produce, I direct, I write, I edit, I host. So if I'm not real quick and getting back to you, just give me a little bit of time and I'll, I'll get it all squared away. But I'll catch you guys next week. As I said, excited about the future possibilities who we got coming on. And I will talk to you guys next week. Enjoy Phoenix this weekend. Catch you on the flip side. Wait, Robin wants to say hi. Say hi. Hi, fans. Yay.